and welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast. This is Dr. Liz, and this is the podcast about hypnosis, transformation, and healing. You'll notice my voice is a little bit off in the intro. I actually recorded this episode about a week or two before I went on vacation. Went on vacation, which was really nice. Went up to Asheville, North Carolina, and Gainesville, in Florida, St. Augustine. It is like brutally hot here in Florida. It's the middle of the summer when I'm recording this. So it was so nice to go into the mountains and get a little bit of cool air. I came back feeling so refreshed and revitalized, but obviously something's going on in my body as well. So that happens, right? But I thought, okay, well, I'll record the intro and put everything together when I get back from vacation. And sometimes that happens, right? You're caught at the end like, oh, geez, my voice isn't working. Hazards of podcasting. Today's episode is about rapid resolution therapy developed by Dr. John Connolly. And it's an interview with Bruce Stafford, who's trained in the technique and uses it in his hypnotherapy practice that he has in Orlando. You'll hear near the end of the interview that he has a three-month waiting list because the technique is so effective for resolving trauma, and that's what his practice focuses on. He did a dissertation on using this technique to resolve sexual trauma. He talks a little bit about that, as well as what he does in session to give the brain a different message about the trauma that it's experiencing even years and years later and how that can resolve quickly, how it can go away and how people can feel happier and less anxious and less depressed. So it's quite interesting. I've known Bruce for several years and met him at the Florida Society of Clinical Hypnosis workshops, which go on twice a year. So we've actually sat beside each other in a couple of workshops and gotten to know each other some, which is how I found out that he uses this technique in his practice. He is always fun to talk to. Oh, we've got some good thunder going on there, don't we? Mm. Okay, well, looks like we just got one roll right now. He's always interesting to talk to and so much fun that the last time I saw him, I said, oh my gosh, I'm doing a podcast now and you have to be on it. You'll be so interesting to talk to. And he agreed. So let's jump in. Hi, Bruce. Welcome to the Hypnotizing Podcast. Hello, Elizabeth. How are you? Good. I'm so happy you're here today. So this is a question I like to lead off the interviews with, with professional hypnotherapists. What was your first experience with hypnosis? As a participant or as a clinician? Either one. I was always looking for ways to do therapy faster. And I decided to get some hypnosis training. And this uh, guy, James Reaney, he put me into a trance. And all of a sudden, the room started to spin, and I went, holy moly, this stuff is powerful. I mean, talk therapy has its benefits, but it never made me feel dizzy. Uh (laughs) And I decided that I had to learn it, and so I have spent years learning it and attempting to learn more about it. Your first experience with hypnosis then was when you were getting training? Yes. Interesting. Really interesting. Now... I know that you do the Florida Society 
clinical hypnosis trainings, but then you also have training in the rapid resolution technique. Is that what it's called? Oh, rapid trauma resolution. Yeah, close enough. Okay. Could you tell our listeners what that is? Okay, it's a uh, form of therapy uh, that was originated by a man named John Connolly, um, who is quite brilliant. He thinks outside of the box, and he combined some other therapies, some of his own stuff. It is particularly designed to reduce traumatic memories very rapidly and relatively unpainfully, although it can be an emotional process. It's rarely painful. I have been doing therapy now for over 30 years, and I've searched all over, and it's the fastest thing that I have ever found. It works really well for me. I think different therapists have different strengths, and they might use different techniques like EMDR or something like that. But for me, it was the most effective approach because I think the hypnosis is particularly good with trauma. Mm -hmm. And years ago, I mean, like probably 15, 20 years ago, I had the experience of treating a client and I discovered a painful memory and in my own crude way, attempted to alleviate that memory. And I found that like with one session, he was suddenly much better because this memory had been very troubling to him. And then what happened is I ran across John Connolly, who had really perfected this way of getting rid of painful, well, perfection is a strong one, but really refined this way of reducing uh, painful memories, and it just really worked with the clients that I used it on quite quickly, very quickly. It was very fast. Very interesting. So can you describe um, what actually happens in a session? Okay, sure. It combines a number of techniques, but say in a session, you put the um, participant in a trance, you get them relaxed, and then you typically ask the unconscious mind for the memory that the unconscious mind most wants to clear first in regard to whatever goal that you are trying to achieve. And usually how I get to that is I ask the client, what is it you most want to change about how you're feeling in the present? Say they want to be more relaxed or more confident. And then I'll ask the unconscious mind for the first memory we need to resolve in order to achieve that goal. And usually it comes right up. And then I have them tell me the memory, not in great detail, um, sometimes only in headline form. And then we do various techniques that would kind of fit along the idea of exposure therapy. Or I might have them repeat it forward, then backward, then divide up into three parts. Or then I might get silly with it. I might have... Uh, them say something like meadow, 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 which is the calming word, instead of every word that they might otherwise say for the memory. So every memory word gets translated into the word meadow. And then I might have them be silly with that. I might have them, you know, talk like a fish with a speech impediment, go meadow, meadow, meadow. So they're giving the brain the message that this memory is no longer as scary as it once was. And then the next step is getting the person to talk, say they talk from the future into the past and they may talk to their child in the past and tell them, for example, that they got through it fine and they can let go of the memory. They no longer need it to protect themselves. And then 
from there, I might ask the person, what's the strongest thought, feeling, image about that memory? And in asking that question, I accomplish two things. One, I know where to go after, and two, I can usually see whether they're visual, verbal, or kinesthetic, so I know what works best for them. And then I will gradually tackle the things about that memory that are standing out to them. For example, if it's a visual memory, I might ask them to sketch out the memory, wrap it around uh, on a piece of white tissue paper like they may have used in school growing up. And the reason I say school growing up is because I'm getting across the message that this is in the past. It's not in the present. So I'm separating the past from the present. Mm -hmm. I'll use the past tense when I'm talking to them about the past. And then... I might say, now take that sketch and wrap it around the bright, white, shining, healing star. And when that bright, white, shining, healing star has evaporated that memory or that picture, nod your head, and then they nod the head. And so we're reducing the visual memories. And then I continue along that process. And a lot of it is getting anyone that internalizes to stop internalizing because, as you know, people so often blame themselves for traumatic memories, which are beyond their control and totally not their fault. And so a key component is reducing the internalization. Mm. And then I, I just do a sud scale from 10 to 1 as I'm going. And when I get down to a 1 or 0, then I know the memory is resolved and it almost never comes back after it's down to one. And, and, and there's a few exceptions, but almost never comes back. In other words, they don't forget the memory, but it's no longer emotionally painful. It's become emotionally neutral. And thus it's no longer pressing on the conscious mind. And so anxiety is reduced and or, and or depression, depending on whatever issue you're working on. Hmm. Can you pause for a moment and tell people what the said scale is? Oh, thank you. Sud scale is, um, um, I can't remember what the SUD stands for, but uh, sud scale is just a basic scale of distress. I just ask them to scale it from zero to 10, 10 being max, zero being uh, not at all. And so if it's at a 10, it's a very painful memory. If it's a five, it's a moderate memory. Okay, got it. So you're using several different techniques it sounds like in there you're making the memory less traumatic like putting this spin on it so that the brain knows it doesn't have to process it as trauma anymore you're doing inner child work you're doing how they're processing it like seeing that and working on that level too yeah yes working on so many different levels with so many different techniques and i think that's the beauty of it because i think you know, everybody responds differently to different things. And I think if anyone ever says there's only one way to do therapy, that's not accurate. You want to combine as many possible techniques as you can. Yeah, very different than, let's say, a straight behaviorist. Yes, you know, just by changing your thoughts. And cognitive therapy is incredibly important. But if you combine hypnosis with cognitive therapy, it's much easier to get the mind to look at something differently. Yes, I totally agree. Like I do a lot of combination. I am very much a CBT therapist, cognitive behavior therapist in my practice as well. And 
that is how I explain it to people is we are doing CBT combined with hypnosis because I think the combination is so effective. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. When I've heard about this technique before, what I've heard is that the person doesn't actually have to talk. Like they don't have to talk a whole lot about the traumatic memory, which often people experiencing trauma don't want to do. Like they want to leave it behind. Is that happening in the session or are you talking a little bit before? Like where does, is that accurate? I'm a little confused because it sounds like you're doing quite a bit of talking with the person during your sessions. I talk with the person in the beginning. Yeah, I I talk quite a bit with them. So I always know I'm tracking them. I know where they are with the process. Uh, But I think what you may have heard is you don't have to go into all the nitty-gritty, painful details of it. You can just stick with the headlines. And I have had experiences where people just didn't even want to say what happened. And so what I've done in that situation is I just uh, do a little EMDR, I tap alternately on the top of their hands while they go through the memory. And then I have them speak to their inner child at the end to do some of the other techniques and they don't actually have to even tell me what happened. Oh, fascinating. I imagine that that's appealing to quite a number of people. Like, yeah, they don't even want to say it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have it happen too often, but I've had it happen uh, several times. Uh, it's embarrassing or whatever. They don't want to say it. And so, uh, and both times the, the process has worked. Hmm. Wow. So are, when you're saying it's rapid, how many sessions are you talking about in general? I know it, it, it varies from person to person as always because treatment is very individual, but in general, what are you talking about in terms of rapid? Um, good question. It depends on the kind of trauma the person has had. If they've had like two or three major incidents of serious trauma, you're talking a couple hours of work. Now, if someone has been repeatedly abused throughout their life, uh, you're talking about more work. I think the longest I've ever gone with anyone who just had really a number of painful memories of maybe 15, 20 sessions, 15, 20 hours of work, uh, where we just went over all his painful memories from his childhood. And that can actually be done faster if somebody can do like three or four hours of work. And then it just, you get into a rhythm, they get deeper into a trance and it goes much more quickly. But for example, in my, with my study on sexual trauma for my dissertation, uh, most people had anywhere from probably two to six, maybe 10 painful memories of sexual trauma. The upper end would be, of course, for those that were abused as children. And the average time it took me to work through those, for, and, and I base this on nine individuals was, I think, about two and a half hours. Wow. And that's not long at all. No. It's very quick. Yeah. That's very, very fast. Like, I am sort of blown away here. That's why I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying, like, wow, that's really fast. I was blown away, Elizabeth. Every time I did, I, I did a, 
what I did is I did pre and post for depression, anxiety, PTSD. And I just took an initial and then I cleared out the sexual abuse memories and took a, a post. And then two to six months later, I did a follow-up. Every time I was surprised how much the scales dropped. I mean, it really surprised me. And, wow. and, it, and it taught me a couple things. First of all, I didn't realize. Sometimes you don't realize how people are stressed unless you measure it. Mm-hmm. Because they've just learned to kind of accept a certain level of stress in their life. And so sometimes you don't realize how depressed they are because they've kind of learned to accept a certain degree of depression. But when you test it out and you watch how these scales drop, every time I went, holy moly, this stuff really works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to admit I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and you're saying even on six-month follow-up, so... It's not just right after treatment, you followed them later too, and they still had the decrease in depression and anxiety? Yes, uh, two to six months follow-up. Everybody's maintained it fairly closely to uh, the follow-up. Sometimes there was a slight increase. They weren't doing quite as well, but they were all still significantly dropped. Wow, incredible. So it was, it was encouraging. The one thing that did not work out as well is I also had a sexual adjustment scale, and sometimes that dropped and sometimes it didn't, but I, I'm thinking there's so many different factors that go into sexual adjustment, you know, the quality of the relationship, all sorts of uh, issues of that nature that I was only interfacing on one level, so I wasn't, it wasn't as effective in that case. Gotcha. Yeah, that wasn't the purpose of the treatment you were doing, but I could imagine how that could be an adjunctive piece for people. I don't know if I heard it on a podcast. I think I read it in a book recently, how the field of, of treatment, psychology and psychological treatment has done an incredible job on how to work with trauma and ways to resolve trauma, particularly sexual abuse. But as a field, we haven't done that great of a job of developing that playful side and the wonderful side of sex and moving people towards that side, particularly trauma survivors. Actually, I think it was Esther Perel who just launched a podcast. I think she was talking about it on her podcast. And you know, she writes a lot about sexuality and keeping a um, sexual relationship, a healthy sexual relationship alive with your partner and these type of things. So, Oh, that's a very interesting perspective. Yes. Yeah, it really was of, okay, now that the trauma is resolved, now what? Right? <laughs> Which, <laughs> right? Yeah, what do I do? Yeah. Which, I mean, it's a big piece. I don't want to minimize the trauma being resolved. It's a really important piece. And I think that has to happen first before people can move into a healthier and playful feeling of sexuality. But yeah, there's a, there's a piece there that we still have to work on as a field is what's her point. Yeah, no, that's right. You know, in all the workshops I've gone to in all my years, I've never really seen anyone address that. It's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. So do you mainly do this technique by Dr. Connolly in your practice or do you do you use other techniques of hypnosis as well? Like let's say some, is someone coming to you for a phobia or something like that? I use his techniques across the spectrum and he also has techniques for other things as well as for trauma that are good. Uh, he has, he's a wonderful master of analogy. 
but for example, if there's a phobia, there's usually a traumatic memory. You clear out that traumatic. See, that's where I start, as you were talking about starting with that with sexuality. Uh, I start by clearing the trauma, and then I use other techniques once I've cleared the trauma that might resolve, for example, anxiety in the present or desensitization or whatever. But I usually work hypnotically first because that's the fastest approach I've discovered. Hmm. Okay, so you're you're seeing a broad spectrum in your practice, people coming in for different things, but generally there's a trauma base to it. Yeah, I've got people that aren't, uh, don't have a terrible traumatic past, although we all have some trauma in our past. I mean, that's what therapy was always designed to treat, although, you know, there are exceptions to that. But Yeah, are you referring to like trauma with a little T versus a big T? <laughs> well, I suppose they're really big T's and very little T's, but yes, little T yeah. versus a big T. Yeah, we all have painful memories, and I think it's always helpful to clear those out, although I occasionally get people that have these wonderful childhoods and just things um, are difficult in the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I run across them as well. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. that's wonderful. On I mean, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> On occasion, I do get that opportunity to see somebody who had a wonderful childhood. Oh, and one thing I, I just wanted to mention, because I had this thought the other day. Uh, it's not an original thought, I'm sure, but one thing I just wanted to say is that the hypnosis literature and people often talk about negative trance. And children are so vulnerable. I think it's so important that they not be labeled growing up because basically anytime you label a child, you've, you've all heard the phrase children become what they're told they are. Anytime you label a child, you're putting them in a negative trance. And then people like us have to undo that later. So it's incredibly important when dealing with children not to use labels as be as uncritical as possible in any disciplinary approach. Yeah, that, that's very good advice. I had... Um just talked about this recently that there was some study done it came out last year or this year or something where they found that personality was actually not stable across the lifetime like people change drastically <laughs> this is what they found they studied oh, some, really? yes they studied people for like 60 70 years you know was it in the u.s is in one of the european countries where i i guess it's easier to do that somehow but they had done that and found that, yeah, people are not the same person they were, let's say, in high school or elementary school or even early 20s, that due to life, they absolutely go through some pretty drastic personality changes. And what I took from that is, yeah, we shouldn't label, like absolutely not, but also don't assume that the, those labels you had are still accurate for you. So perhaps being a parent myself, it's hard not to say like, oh my gosh, I have one child who's so stubborn, right? (laughs) right? But that's a negative trans is what you're talking about. It's a negative label, like you're so stubborn. And of course you can always translate that into persistent, passionate, all kinds of positive labels as well. But it's also making this point that it doesn't, like you may be stubborn now and maybe in 10 years you won't be like you have more yeah. flexibility, yeah. like who knows. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's a really good point. I think 
in general, parents try their best not to do the negative, but it does slip out sometimes yeah. of the well, times of frustration. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting the way you phrase that because every strength has a weakness. Every weakness has a strength. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the child who I don't really hear people calling their children bossy anymore, but it used to be a term when I was growing up. Well, the bossy is someone who knows how to direct people and, and take on a leadership role. Really? Like, yeah, that's interesting. You know? I have to say, Elizabeth, my mother called me bossy once. <laughs> I still remember it. Yeah. I got into therapy though, and I'm almost normal now. I stopped drooling about 10 years ago. <laughs> right. It's definitely called bossy. And I've run <laughs> two companies, you know, and it's like, okay, well, that's how it so shows it worked up for you. It did. <laughs> it did. It is trying to, to focus on the positive with our children. It is trying to develop their strengths and, and really going to that place with them and also realizing as an adult who may be listening to this that if negative labels happened, they're not always accurate or there's a positive flip side to them that you can step into. Yes. Yeah. So part of you're seeing part of your work in hypnosis is actually busting some of those old limiting beliefs that that parents have put on people who are now grown up and in your office. Yes, exactly. Parents unknowingly will often project their own inadequacies on their kids, and then you have to bust those unfair feelings of inadequacy or unfair belief systems that no parent's perfect try our best but a little therapy usually helps my daughter had to go through it <laughs> uh-huh. yeah and and uh we're all imperfect human beings trying to get through life absolutely yes and i always say like i hope my kids enjoy therapy as much as i do you know like because <laughs> it's inevitable <laughs> <laughs> so you're keeping that door open so they don't ever feel like they have to be perfect huh? Yes, exactly. Right. So we're coming to the end of our interview here. So please tell people how to find you and how to get in contact with you if they want to do some of this work themselves with you. I'm not a real big email person, but people are free to call me. My business line is uh, 407-648-9118. The only problem is right now I've got like about a three-month waiting list. Mm. Um, But I'm always happy to help people with trauma. Or sometimes they can find some other people in their area trained in rapid trauma resolution or whatever form of therapy that works best for them. Okay. But that's probably the best way to reach me. Okay. And you have a website as well? Yes. uh, BruceStaffordCounseling.com. Okay, great. I'll put that in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Two to three sessions. I'm just contemplating that again, right? Two and a half hours of work. That's actually sometimes one session if it's a long session. To resolve sexual trauma. That was just so impressive to me. And it sort of turns the whole world of therapy on its head a little bit of thinking that you have to work on sexual trauma for years and years and years. And I imagine that for some people that is true and for others it's not, that it just depends on 
the person and what they went through. And also that there's other work to be done there. So often people will come into therapy and they want to resolve the trauma, but then they also want to work on other stuff in their life that it shows up in their relationships, their marriage, that sexual piece that we touched on a little bit and improving those areas that it's still affecting. That is often the goal of therapy is, okay, let's, let's see how it can affect your, the rest of your life less and resolving the trauma piece of that is just so, so important. I loved Bruce's other piece that he wanted to tell people in terms of not putting negative labels on kids. Loved that piece too. We always need the good reminder of that. I know I do as a parent. So it was a nice one. That's it for this week, people. I want to give you the update on the t-shirt contest and let you know that I didn't get any emails for the reviews. I was so surprised actually, but sometimes you try these things and they work out. Sometimes they don't. Perhaps I made it too hard for people in terms of having to email me the review and what platform and all of that. So we'll try it again sometime, but at least I have a really cute hypnotize me t-shirt waiting. All right. I'm wrapping up for this week. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful week. Peace. If you like this episode, do me a favor and rate, review, and subscribe on whatever player you like, or even better, tell a friend so that more and more people learn about hypnosis and how it can be helpful for them. If you want to know more about me, head over to drlizhypnosis.com. That's D-R-L-I-Z, hypnosis.com. You can see the downloads and see if there's one that's helpful for your life. Or you could also join the newsletter and get a couple of free files as well as lots of good content. I've written a newsletter for well over 10 years. Go ahead and subscribe and join the rest of the world. All right, people, have a wonderful week.